Hello and welcome to the Startups Roundtable. I'd like to start with an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. Here in Sydney, it's the Gadigal people. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. SportsCube is a two-sided marketplace that streamlines the connection between rights holders and sponsors. And it was fantastic to speak with Jackson Dickfoss, who is a co-founder of SportsCube on this episode. Leveraging technology to understand, access and bring value to an audience was always going to be part of our conversation. But Jackson also highlighted the people and community dimension of what he and his co-founder, Tim McMurray, are building. So let's meet Jackson. Yeah, so um, SportsCube is a sponsorship marketplace for grassroots sporting organisations. We help them sell their sponsorship and at the moment directing that to corporate sponsors who want to access their audience. Tim, my co-founder, and I met at uni in an entrepreneurship course uh, at the University of the Sunshine Coast and actually SportsCube started as a piece of uni assessment. Back then it was a little bit like Shark Tank in that it was a regional version of Shark Tank. We, We went and pitched to a heap of investors and it was part of uh, our obligation is that a piece of assessment to pitch a business idea and actually SportsCube was pitched. It was very, very different back then, Tony. Um, but uh, here we are three years later. We, we threw our hats in the air and basically said, listen, let's have a crack at this for a year while we're young, we're fresh. Let's let's really try and learn as much as we possibly can. And we said, listen, at about the 12-month mark, we'll have a conversation and figure out if we want to, if we, if we need to trash it or we can keep going. And we became so obsessed with what the problem that we were fixing. We met so many good people and became obsessed with the space that we were in that we never ended up having that conversation. So three years later and, and here we are, we we hit market with our seventh product. We've churned a lot of really average ones to learn and validate over the years, but our proper hitting public for the very first time with a product um, last Monday. So it's been a long time coming. To think that it started where it did and to be where, where it is now. I'll come back in a moment and ask you about those iterations that you went through. But could you maybe start by speaking a little bit to both sides of the supply chain? On the on the supply front um, of the marketplace, we got grassroots sporting organisations. So everything from your your local footy club, and and actually after hitting market last week, we've had professional sporting organisations signing up and trying to sell their sponsorship a little bit more conveniently. And then on the sponsor front, wanting to purchase these opportunities without having to go to the club on a Tuesday night and sign manual paperwork go through the legalities and virtually every process that you can think of from securing it and through to management can now be done online in a very quick manner from wherever you are. So it's that that high level concept, that Airbnb marketplace transaction concept, we're doing that with sponsorship. I could imagine that you've actually opened up that sponsorship marketplace to people who would have thought about it, but not known quite how to execute upon it. I think the the idea itself, Tony, isn't actually isn't nascent as such it's more so the way it's being done so the sponsorship marketplaces are evident overseas and they've sort of had it from corporate sponsors to professional sport and then it's been done from local bakery to local club and we're sort of doing it so we're starting like that because that sort of hasn't been done we're doing it from corporate sponsors who want to access the grassroots level because of course the more accounts that they have and maybe they're sponsoring or, or distributing money to 70 clubs the more and more clubs and accounts they have the worse the management problem is so now they're able to measure that, do data reporting, and we can provide that access in bulk for them to, to sponsor really quickly as opposed to doing it one-on-one, which takes a, a very long time. Make me immediately think about the online 
access and people talk about audience and reach. On one measure, it's quite easy to work out the audience and reach, but another measure, it's not quite as simple online. Whereas if you actually know who your audience is and you know where the location is, to be able to go to them in a real sense, in a, a very tangible sense, I want to say it's it's something that was had a charm maybe a decade ago, but maybe that charm is ready to reappear. It's such a good comment that you make in that we've been thinking about this for some time and we, we are definitely not the first players in this space, as I alluded to before, but why now and why is it working now or more likely to be something that's scalable um, and borderless is that one, the technology is there and a marketplace building trust is the hardest thing for a marketplace to do. It's got to build credibility. And 10 years ago, we were still, you know, the Facebooks, the Airbnbs, the Ubers, we were, they were still appearing and getting, people were getting used to that sort of money online. How much do I trust this process? For us, um, what's certainly making it easier is that people are aware of that model. They're used to that model. Now we're buying food off the click of our fingers sponsorship all of a sudden realize this can be done a lot quicker and if anything it's a little bit behind but it's high ticket sales this is not $12 hand cream as we always make the joke my co-founder and I this is this might be a $500 might be a $10,000 sponsorship we need that trust and we need that credibility I think that's because it's high ticket is it's it's been a little long time coming it's been a bit longer time to sort of for this to make sense and then of course in a very strange way things like the pandemic and the vulnerabilities of sport having financial sustainability issues, every single bit about this has to be done quicker and it has to be more convenient. It it has to not rely on having 15 negotiation meetings and deliberation meetings. Things have to get done quicker, otherwise clubs face foreseeable closures. So, yeah, those those few things are working in our favour. It's almost like you're delivering on the promise of real-time and location-based that isn't done in, in many other forms. Yeah, 100%. And I think uh, here's some high-level sort of the sponsorship data and insight that we've got just recently is that imagine every corporate um, having a location that, for whatever reason, sales are minimal in that region, in that city, in that country, whatever it might be, and they've just got their, they've just got data that their social media advertising and the push marketing that they're using. So the banners in front of the, the game that I'm playing or on the newsfeed of the social channels they're using just quite aren't working. The customer acquisition isn't there. And they've realized that that's because that region, country, area, whatever it might be, are more prone to pull marketing. They're more, they're high level EQ and they're more engaged with something that's they're emotionally attached to. Grassroots sport is the perfect example for this. If you're contributing to my beloved club that I've been a part of for 10 years, I'm much more likely to want to buy from your brand. A good example is is Tim and I. I don't think I've ever bought coffee, Tony, from anywhere other than a franchisee that has supported my local sporting club that I was a part of at that time. And that's sort of the unwritten contract. That's such a, it's such a great conversation to have is that when you're involved and you're part of a 300 member organization at this level or that level, you support your sponsors, you support people and the brands that are putting these sort of organizations first, you're emotionally attached to that. You begin to have this brand loyalty where you never really go away from them. And that's the power of sponsorship. As you were talking, I was starting to think about tribes, but it's actually more than tribes. It's actually community that you're speaking to. We work this out maybe a little later in the road that this is, it's an entire ecosystem that we're trying to influence. And 
while that makes things a little bit harder from our front because there's so many stakeholders, it's not really, it's already hard enough with the marketplace. You've got two segments. You've actually got 10 segments because getting that love and getting that sort of buy-in from everybody is the power of, of that ecosystem. And if you can sort of move and influence that ecosystem, you become a product that people don't use because it's just convenient. They, they use it because they love it. It's easier. You're creating better partnerships and people feel like you're you're contributing to that ecosystem you're not just providing a service all of a sudden becomes like it's not even a business conversation anymore it's just this thing that I'm aligning to is helping my club that I love so I love it in return so it's it's quite a moving concept uh deep down yeah does it have the capability to get granular when you start to think about venues teams locations but then you've got players i think um one of the things that sort of slapped us in the face of the last couple of months is that this could be done with athletes, athletes being the supply instead of the organisation itself because they need sponsorship, particularly at semi-professional level, ones that want to be, you know, go to the Olympics and all this stuff, all this sort of thing. They require funds and a lot of it. The thing is there's everybody's looking for sponsorship, whether it's an athlete or an organisation. But like you said, something that we, um, we've been looking at is focus. There's so many little pieces of low-hanging fruit is where to focus first and then which vertical can we can actually leverage to then get the next one? And one of the things, like you said, is players. If we go organisation first and can get that right in even in any, any way, shape or form to some certain degree, they're the ones that sort of control and influence those players. So we could start a, a vertical. And we like to use the example of Airbnb didn't go very wide to start with. They just got the homestays right. And then now they've got experiences but they scaled and they went far well and wide before sort of jumping into that next vertical. And for us, we know that we've got to focus on one, but it's very hard, Tony, I must say, because there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle and we want to help. We've got friends in the athlete space who want to, who want to you know, create careers. So we've got a lot, a lot going on. But if we can work it out for one process, we think, we think there's a lot of potential for other verticals. You've actually led me into a question I did want to ask, and it was around go-to-market and about how you make decisions. And that might allow us to go back to a comment you made earlier about having gone through the iterations. How do you go about making decisions? And maybe my real question is, how has that changed from when you started that the university project to where you are now? Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, has it changed? Definitely. How has it changed? I think for the first year or year and a half, we're 24 and 26-year-olds respectively, Tony, my co-founder and I. So we had a really sort of decent period where we had to learn how to become business people. And then entrepreneurs being quite different and looking at things a little bit differently, having to learn how to do both because we needed a sense of both. But that took a little time. So I think decisions on the early day, we shared a lot of the load with literally everything on the business front. I think as of recent, we've completely separated our roles and, res- and responsibilities as we've figured out what we're actually really good at and what we get up and naturally, you know, are gravitated towards in the morning, who's who's building product and, and who's making sales calls. This sort of thing has changed a lot. And now all our decisions aren't based off a limb, which was, hey, our parents have been in the space. We're motivated because they're the ones who were door knocking and cold calling and and trying to get sponsorships to keep the, the club afloat, which is why we were so motivated and we started this in the first place. We were making decisions that we thought and assumed based on that would be a good way to go or a good uh, a good way to solve that problem. Whereas now all our conversations and decisions are around the people that are helping us build it, which are other grassroots sporting organisations and corporate sponsors are now just saying, hey, we need a little bit of this. We want this feature. We want that. So our decisions are now almost I'm not making decisions, Tony, is probably what I'm getting to. 
our customers are very much so making those decisions for us and helping us shape, shape product. It's pretty powerful, and that helps you get through those iterations with greater confidence. Do you start to look at different sports in, in a different light now than you did at the start, where you might have maybe seen them all as vanilla? Uh, there's some that stand out. This is where we need to be first. Yeah, another great question. I, th- I think initially that's exactly what happened. We were just sort of free for all. We didn't want to discriminate. And what the really interesting dynamic and something worth noting, I think, is what happened was then we went very specific to test to work out is it mainstream or non-mainstream, um, your croquets, your quidditches, and all sorts of types of sports that you don't see necessarily on the, on the TV. The other ones that need sponsorship more, and we were sort of working out where, where best to start. But then we had to find a balance of who's digitally sophisticated and has great assets that sponsors are interested in. That was sort of where we had to go to. But I'll tell you, I'll be very honest and say, ever since the pandemic hit, we've actually flipped back to where we were three years ago, which was we actually had to open up in a way because so many clubs were facing foreseeable closures and struggling we're actually now back to trying to facilitate i don't care what sport you're from sports cube will help you whether it's on or off platform do something we'll either sit down with you and make sure your assets are in line um we can talk to you about sponsor insight regarding who's searching for what in your area we just want to help and for the next six months, Tony, we're pretty committed to doing that, whether, you know, no matter who it is, we'll have niche focus, but how our focus has a, is a little different from where we're letting the product drift. With a marketplace, it's actually better to do that because you want the market to be pulling the product out of the startup is the closest way to get to product market fit for us. So instead of being so focused that we're not even, we're going to say no to these organizations because they're from a sport to list and jump on the platform, we're not saying no to anybody. But our focus is, um, yeah, will be differently than where we let it drift. Where do you look for data? What's the, the data that matters most to your planning? What sponsors types of assets that they're interested in? And then the geographies that they're jumping on the platform saying, we want traction, brand awareness, brand consideration, whatever it might be, whatever the objective might be in country New South Wales or in King Arroy in Queensland, or simply in Tasmania or just in Australia. So we're sort of dictated to by what they see as great supply. And you may be thinking to yourself, this is certainly how we started. Normally with a marketplace, you want to get supply because so there's actually something for the demand to see, right? No good getting demand on and then saying, we've got nothing for you to look at. We've actually went about it the, the other way because instead of just getting lots of supply, and like I said before, you can anybody can list because during the period, everybody needs to. We've actually went to demand and said, what supply are you looking for so we can liquidate those listings quicker? And that way we're going to get more specific supply and make the marketplace actually be transacting even heavier. So we've actually flipped that to completely different strategy change, but one that's seen great results so far. Where's the complexity in this for you that you're trying to simplify at the moment? Definitely the the bureaucratic red tape on the sponsor side. Their sales cycle sometimes can be very elongated process. The other thing is that sponsorship can be regional. A lot of time it's just before the end of the financial season where the budget's been allocated. A lot of the time it's between July and December that the budget's been allocated for summer sports. The complexities between when to hit and when to pitch and when to sale and when to have supply or specific supply for that time or for those businesses is something that the the more data and science we get through the platform, the smarter the technology gets and the smarter that we become. But um, we're still in that really nice, right, 
stage where we can flip on a five cent piece, Tony, and we can really mould ourselves and shape ourselves around these sales cycles, around when budget's sort of allocated and working out how that can work 365 days uh, a year and, and be, a, be a viable sort of model 12 months a year and for every sport. That's interesting. I had not considered that when I was, I was looking into what you're doing before we spoke today. What you're offering, another way for organisations to think about it, and as you were painting the picture of large organisations locking out their decision, I, I work for one of those. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm hearing you and I'm, I'm going, yeah, that sounds pretty normal. <laughs> but, but the point is, if they don't know there's an option, they don't know they need to plan for something that's new and different because you all, all of a sudden bring in different levers for them to pull. And here I'm going to talk about something as if I've just made it up and I'm sure you've thought about a thousand of these things. But like weather, for example, if I'm getting a message online, weather doesn't play a part. But if all of a sudden there's a weather shift and there's a sporting event tomorrow that is actually different to the seasonal weather, you can either see that as a burden or an opportunity. Well, it's an opportunity if SportsCube exists. 100%. And I think what you're uh, touching on is the different types of assets matter. And if it's a digital or a social asset that someone's putting money towards because they want to you know, be involved with that content that hits that audience because it's, it's an align to the audience of the brand, then that's different than a physical activation, a sign on a fence, a naming rights of a building. But you actually sort of alluded to it perfectly there, Tony, is that things are going to change. And if you've got an A4 contract or a, a proposal that's on your desk, one day, the next day that changes, if you haven't got this online and the, the data has been able to be updated very, very quickly and the messaging saying, hey, it, actually, this looks like it's going to rain tomorrow. We're going to change this activation to a digital one. Not being able to do that and not being able to flexible is where we've sort of been vulnerable from a sports ecosystem previously. And it's something that we sort of pride ourselves um, being able to provide is that management online where things can actually happen at the click of a finger. And it's something the sponsorship industry has really been lacking and it's been a really serious problem because what happens is that then it's a legal cost because you want you need to get, and we've seen this in, in the COVID period, it's been, it's been disastrous, is that all these services needed to actually change the contract because what you said you were going to do now couldn't happen because of this. Um, and this is a very extreme example, obviously, the pandemic. But think about that from a weather perspective. You're absolutely bang on. How does that change? And are, are the two organisations even set up to, to be flexible for that? So little things like this, it can happen when um, the data and the management is being monitored online and they can both see it. And everybody gets notified when something like the weather um, doesn't look so good in the region you're in. Jackson, you spoke about the decision processes that you've had to go through and, and how you've gone through the iterations. Geography and global Solving the problem for the sports team down the road and the venue down the road for you is the same as one globally. If you're having to corral your thinking, how are you corralling it on a global landscape? Yeah, it's something we've just looked at, actually. And I mean, the commercial viability of all this. We're doing R&D in, in a few different places to test borderless um, validation, Tony. And I think we've got some really good results. If anything, and the feedback we've had is Australia is probably the hardest place to start with what we're trying to do. But Here's a good insight is that Australia's home to us. So even though we've had that feedback multiple times, we want to get this right here. This is where we grew up. This is where we love sports. This is where our parents sort of extracted so much blood, sweat and tears to, to keep going in our little regions. We're pretty passionate about getting it right here first. We've had some great validation in both Europe and America. Just R&D testing and the similarities between if we can get it right here, where does that look like first to go to make it easier for us rather than changing model because someone's completely different 
who has similar characteristics to the sporting scene in Australia. And the, a place like the UK, very similar grassroots uh, characteristics in Australia. And then on the American level, the college system, the collegiate ecosystem over there, sponsorship is just touching the tip of the iceberg and they're a little more digitally sophisticated over there. So there's a few regions that become very, very interesting if we can just make the the two sides work in Australia. So to go back to the question, how do we do that? R&D testing to work out where's, where's best fit first. The model will change. I had a really good piece of feedback this morning from somebody who said commercially with this business model is that Australians don't like subscriptions, Tony. This is her research. Americans just are more prone to subscriptions. So other than Netflix and stuff like this for Australians, which we're getting used to paying, we actually don't generally like that. So the model's got to be different. But in America, they're actually you're actually better off going with a subscription model. So something that I learned this morning was that you can't just say, hey, we take a 10, 15% cut in the marketplace and we're going to do that everywhere. And that's our scalability done. There's a lot more research and testing that goes into this. So we've, we've started with a couple of couple of places overseas. You're uh, at a stage where you're moving along fast, looking for advice. You mentioned before with credit to your families and the support they're giving you. When you look for coaches and, and mentors, what would be your commentary and feedback if someone was listening to this and wanted to maybe pick up a, a consideration that they should make when thinking about coaches and mentors? We were having an interesting run, Tony, in that we probably the first few years had no advisor, no mentor, no necessary business coach as such. And then going through the programs we are going through at the moment, Startup Bootcamp, same as Jamie, is having now a wealth of experience and numerous mentors and advisors. But somebody wondering if it's a good idea, I would say because of the the headbanging against a brick wall that Tim and I did early days, get one as soon as possible. And it doesn't matter who it is. I think just somebody that if they've been there, they've done that, they've got startup experience, then great. But any any person that's just older than you, you can draw experience from and adapt that advice and you can take it with a grain of salt. But be talking to as many people as you possibly can. I reckon we didn't do that enough early days. And now that we are able to do that in volume, how much you learn and how quickly you can adapt is amazing. And we're moving quicker because this. But um, I'd say for our benefit as well, mentors... It's just basically anybody that's there to listen. I mean, good, our best advisors are people who sort of don't talk too much, um, but when they speak, we know that it's definitely that piece of advice you want, to, you want to listen and it's definitely going in one ear and staying inside your brain. They're just there for support. Uh, what challenge are you having this week? What challenge are you having next week? What does next month look like? What are your goals, et cetera? And those people have been really helpful for us. But anybody that's just worked in a corporate environment has a passion for grassroots sport, we've realized is actually somewhat valuable to us anyway, because you want advocates. Sometimes a mentor and advisor doesn't say anything and they're not really giving advice or mentorship, but they're just an advocate and it can be the best type of relationship that you could possibly have. In answering a question about what you would suggest people look for in a coach or a mentor, I think you actually just did it yourself. I think that's just spectacular advice that if you're wanting to learn, doesn't matter who you're speaking with, you've got the opportunity to do that learning. Jackson, it's been fantastic meeting with you today and having this conversation. Appreciate you taking the time. I'm excited to stay in touch, stay in step with your progress. So it'd be fantastic to have you back on at a later date, but thanks for joining me today. Tony, thanks so much. Would love to be back on at a later date. Uh, likewise, really appreciate the opportunity to jump on and good luck with the podcast. That's all we have time for today. Feedback is always appreciated. And also let me know if you'd like to be a guest on the show or would like to suggest a future guest. Thanks for listening and bye for now.